Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks. I'm Liam Bailey. I'm head of research here at Knight Frank. Now, all of our regular listeners will be missing Anna Ward. Uh, Anna is currently enjoying her well-earned maternity leave, uh, and I will be taking over the reins for this season. Today, I'm joined by Kate Everett-Allen, our head of international residential research. Hello to Kate. Hi, Liam. And also Tom Bill, our head of UK residential research. And hello to Tom. Hi, Liam. So we have had a break over the summer, uh, but we're back and raring to go, ready for the upcoming autumn property market. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be providing you with an outlook for both commercial and residential real estate. But today, we're going to take a deep dive into the world's housing markets uh, with Tom and Kate as our guides. So let's take a look at how markets stand right now. We've had two years of boom conditions in most markets globally. Prices are up a lot. Uh, Kate, remind me, Dubai last year, how much uh, price growth? It was nudging, I think, 50% year on year. So lots of price growth around the world. Not everywhere as strong as Dubai. Sales have been up a lot, but things are beginning to shift. So rates are rising rapidly uh, around the world. Affordability is tightening in many markets and consumer confidence is also weakening. So, Kate, we're going to start with your markets. Now, thinking about my intro, our listeners are right to think that prices are falling globally now? To some extent. So I think the headlines are quite negative. You know, we're hearing a lot about rising costs of, of mortgage rates and, and cost of living, recessionary fears. But actually, the data that we're tracking, particularly at the prime end of the market, isn't really reflecting that yet. That's not to say that we're not going to see a change. So our prime index, which tracks 45 cities around the world, is rising around 7.5% year on year, which is admittedly down from the 10% we saw the previous quarter, but still quite strong growth when you look at the last decade. So I think We're definitely moving into a new cycle. We're definitely seeing a transition from a seller's to a buyer's market. But I think it's going to take some time for us to to see that impact on, on prime prices at least. And I think really... The slowdown at the moment is being felt at the, the sort of lower end of the market and in those more domestically driven markets as well. So something of a price is lagging, I suppose, in terms of uh, where sentiment or, um, or where other measures are going at the moment. Tom, is the UK following the same pattern uh, as, as Kate has outlined? Uh, yes, it is. I mean, I think, you know, you look at the newspapers and you read the headlines, they're all fairly dramatic and negative at the moment. But the housing market hasn't really caught up. And I think you're still seeing fairly strong levels of demand. You're still seeing supply start, you know, beginning to recover after the last two years of the recession. So right now, the market's actually in a pretty good place. But obviously, a slowdown is it's in the post, but it still feels like it's in the post. It doesn't feel like we're starting to even see even the early signs, perhaps a few, but not not really anything that I can really hold on to and say, yes, we're starting to see the effects of inflation or the cost of living impact the housing market. So for now, it's still pretty strong. And people, I suppose, have to remember that the reason the housing market is strong or price growth is strong is that we've had a it's had its own supply chain disruption, uh, which has pushed up house price inflation. Um, it's beginning to calm down, but it, we're not yet at the point of anything dramatic happening, but it, it, it'll come. 
Kate, in some of your recent notes, you've been talking about uh, supply and demand as sort of supports, I suppose, for pricing. Do you want to explain a bit more detail how supply uh, and demand are interacting right now in your, your key global markets? So I think demand-wise, we still haven't seen a return to pre-pandemic levels in terms of the cross-border transactions. So there's still parts of Asia where we haven't seen borders reopen, and therefore there is some degree of pent-up demand yet to be released into prime markets globally. The supply side of things, you know, we were already seeing before the pandemic quite tight supply in key cities, so places like uh, LA, like Sydney, uh, Singapore. So the pandemic has only really exacerbated that if you think about the, the construction delays and the halt in housing markets, etc. So that, to some extent, is going to cushion, I think, prices over, over the coming 12 months, I guess. But I think that we're still going to see, we're still seeing resilient demand. Um, so I was talking to our international sales teams, their inquiries for European second home markets are 35% above what they were pre-pandemic. So there is still some evidence of, of that demand being relatively robust and resilient. Tom, just focusing in on London for a moment, um, if thinking back to, say, 2014, the peak of the kind of last cycle, there was a significant overhang of new build stock in the market. This time around, um, just following on from where, where Kate has been describing uh, global markets, is, you're seeing the same thing in London right now? We are. I mean, demand is still very strong. Again, counterintuitively, um, that's not just demand that's, you know, been frustrated in, in, in the pipeline for the last year or so. It's new demand still coming through. There's probably an element of people wanting to do something before mortgage rates rise any further. And supply, supply is an interesting one. It was starting to build just before the summer. Um, there were signs of it normalising. And then everybody went on their summer holidays for the first time in three years, which I think is, you know, perfectly understandable. And now I think that supply will start to rebuild from September. People will increasingly come to the market because they sense, again, rates are rising. An element of distress will start to enter the system, I'm sure, as mortgage rates begin to rise. And things are going to rebalance. I think we're going to be moving from what was emphatically a seller's market into something that could more resemble a buyer's market. And that, that, that I think, is the process that's going to happen, play out over the next three to six months. So what I'm hearing loud and clear from both of you really is a discernible shift from a seller's market into a, a buyer's market. I guess for our listeners, just thinking about the size and degree of the energy crisis that's beginning to envelope Europe and the UK, things are, are getting more, much more difficult in terms of the economic environment. So the housing market, I think, from what we're hearing is lagging that process. But if we just get a bit more negative for a second, Kate, when you are thinking about the European, your, your key European markets over the next 12 months, what makes you nervous? Uh, what, what are you worried about? I guess the, the key indicators that we're looking at really are in relation to employment. So if we start to see unemployment tick upwards in a number of our key markets, and therefore we start to see defaults on mortgages, potentially forced sellers, I guess, Thinking back to 2008, and I would say that this isn't 2008, clearly we've got a very different set of circumstances, but back then we started to see those discretionary purchases, those second home markets, more supply come to the market as people started to sort of retrench and go back to their primary homes and, and sort of just reduce the number of properties they had. And I think that would be a key one to watch. Obviously, the Eurozone is 
fairly, well, one of the most exposed markets to the energy crisis, and it's probably going to have a tough winter ahead. That said, we produced our prime price forecast a few weeks ago. And actually, for cities, for places like Paris, there's still quite a positive price growth predicted, and places like Berlin as well, sort of lower market entry points. So what I think we may see is some of those resort markets that have had a boom period over the pandemic may start to see lower levels of growth, but I don't think we're going to see price falls necessarily. But I think cities, particularly those markets, would have got really firm housing market fundamentals in terms of demand and supply and investment coming through. I think they, they might weather the storm slightly better. But in terms of that price growth over the next 12 months for the city markets, I mean, you see it capped at 5% per annum or? Yeah, so six months ago, we looking at 25 cities around the world, we were predicting average price growth of around 6%. That's come down to about 4% now when we've surveyed our global research teams. So yes, it's down and it's more muted, but it's nothing, it's, it's not falling into negative territory. We're not starting to see or not expecting to see prices drop this year at least. And Tom, think about the UK markets. Where do you see pricing moving over the next 12 months? Well, initially, our forecast had sort of pointed towards reasonably modest mid-single-digit growth over, over the next sort of several years across most of the UK the regions outperforming Greater London broadly, Prime Central London actually doing doing pretty well. I suppose the biggest unknown, if not risk, on the horizon is we have a, a new Prime Minister incoming. And I think how populist that Prime Minister turns out to be or how much the sort of rhetoric of the campaign trail matches what they do in office in terms of their the way that they go about um, tackling the cost of living crisis and you know how many tax cuts are implemented and how inflationary all of that stuff proves to be, I think that's the big unknown. That's the big risk. We could be in for a bit of a tumultuous period economically in the run-up to the next election. I think that's really going to have more of an impact than any measures that the government's going to implement in, in relation to the housing market. Will unemployment stay low? Is inflation going to be sort of relatively contained? And is the Bank of England's prediction of a sort of year-long-plus recession going to be borne out or not? So it's that stewardship of the economy, I think, is the real big question mark over the market at the moment. Just think about the outlook for inflation and interest rates. Uh, obviously, growing volatility, Kate, in international markets in terms of interest rate setting. And that means that currency movements are becoming, again, more volatile. What's the impact on the strengthened dollar on your key markets that you're looking at? So already this summer, actually, we've seen quite a big uptick in US interest in European markets, interestingly targeting more resorts and cities, which is traditionally where they would normally look. So at the moment, taking price performance out and looking purely at exchange rates, the US dollar is is up by about 15% against the euro year on year. So there's already a a good discount built in for, for US buyers. Obviously, with the Fed expected to hike rates even faster than than the Eurozone and the UK, that change, that currency advantage is only going to increase. But I think it's also worth pointing out that it's not just US buyers, but also a number of the currencies that are pegged to the dollar. So those Middle Eastern currencies, but also some in the Caribbean and other emerging markets, they will also experience that currency advantage when looking at the Eurozone and the UK as well. So it's not just US buyers. And Tom, the international buyer returned to London uh, in a big way over the past 12 months after an absence during the the worst part of COVID. Um, But do you think there's more on this story? Do you think the dollar's performance means we'll see more US, Asian, Middle East money coming into the city? 
I think we were obviously hadn't returned back to to where it was pre-COVID. I think there's still, numbers are still down from Asia Pack, in particular. It's sort of on the flip side of what I was saying earlier about what what we see over the next sort of nine to twelve months in the UK. If we do see that sort of inflationary environment uh, and the UK economy suffering and the pound falling, then acts as a shock absorber effect, and we start to see money come into markets like Prime Central London to the benefit of those property markets. So. We'll just get a much clearer picture, I think, in the next several weeks as to what the government is going to do as it starts to lay out its plans. And then I think we'll be able to gauge a lot more accurately where we're going, where the economy is going, where the pound is going. But right now, we're kind of we're on the bit of a verge of a bit of an unknown. OK, just changing tack before we close. Kate, one thing that we were hearing a lot about, and, and you certainly talked about in some of your notes earlier this year, was the I suppose the COVID boom uh, leading to demands for cooling measures, uh, foreign buyer restrictions in different markets globally, particularly those that have seen big price growth. How are you seeing that trend develop right now? So this time last year, as we were sort of prepping for the wealth report, we talked about the move that Singapore made. I guess it was probably a bit later. It was December last year in hiking stamp duty. We talked about how that was the trailer for the main show that we expected to take place in 2022 with a lot more government starting to ramp up either foreign buyer restrictions or or tax hikes. We were wrong-footed because we've not seen that. Because of the economic climate and the changing landscape, we are actually seeing policymakers sit on their hands and the changing landscape, the changing economic situation means that policymakers really are just waiting and and seeing what impact the higher rates of interest have on buyer sentiment, I think, before taking action. The one exception, really, apart from Singapore, has been Canada, where we've got um, foreign buyer restrictions coming in in January. But we did expect a lot more, and that hasn't happened. So in some respects, that's positive news. There you go. Tom, policymakers sitting on their hands. Is that the outlook for the new prime minister in the UK? Are we going to see less activity in in the policy arena for housing markets here? Uh, It could be a good thing. Um, Probably not. I think the Tory party obviously want more of us to become homeowners uh, and therefore vote Conservative. But there's an inherent conflict, I think, between the quite strong rhetoric that we're getting, we always get around the housing market and what the government are going to do and unleash waves of house building, and the reality. And the reality is that the government does not run the housing market. The government doesn't build homes. Housing and pricing in the UK housing market will be subject to the forces of supply and demand, by and large. The government can certainly do, uh, it can certainly take demand supply side measures that have a limited impact but I'm sure we'll see announcements come from the new government but ultimately I'm not sure it makes a huge difference I'm not sure it makes a huge difference if we've had 15 housing ministers or how many it is in in 15 years it really is you know the market tends to just move at its own pace self-correct and that's the way that it behaves and, and, and I think if the government were to intervene, I think an acknowledgement of the fact that it has it, that it does so in a limited way would, would be a good thing. There we go, Tom, a plea for intelligent government. Uh, that would be a, a novelty. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. OK, so to close, uh, I want to think about the outlook for investors. Uh, let's pretend I have some money to invest. So, Kate, so I want some income. I want to protect my capital. Where am I going to be investing my money? Oh, quite a question. Um, So I think globally, we're seeing investors target property sectors that offer a high turnover of tenants so that they can adjust rents on a regular basis. So from a sort of residential perspective, I guess that's kind of the build to rent sector, commercially sort of healthcare, those sorts of areas. I think we might start to see the eurozone look good value over the next year, 
also, given the, the headwinds that it's facing, but also the currency play that's going to exist for, for some time. So I would look to some, maybe some of those city markets, which didn't see the level of price growth during the pandemic that the, the sort of rural resort alpine markets did. So places where there's strong housing market fundamentals. So you've got a lot of investment taking place and a, a sort of burgeoning population of, of tenant demand as well. Brilliant. Thank you, Kate. And Tom, where are you going to send me? Same criteria. Uh, I want my money to be as secure as possible, but I want it to work for me. Where would I be buying in the UK? Very wise, Liam. A complete cop out. I'm going to choose a couple of locations. I think firstly, prime central London. I know we've said this before, but I don't think it really has got back to where it once was. And I don't think those international arrivals have got back to where they were. So that, that still has some headroom. You know, look at our forecast that we're still predicting that market to outperform. So those traditionally more international dominated markets in, in PCL are probably going to have a good few years relative to the rest of the country. And I suppose the other one that brings to mind is slightly more overlooked parts of the commuter belt. So, you know, someone with a nice uh, or a good school or an outstanding school, but perhaps isn't a 10 minute walk, perhaps it's a half an hour walk from the train station. I think those sorts of markets uh, are going to start to come more into their own as people you know, rebalance their commuting patterns. So there you go, a couple of options for you. Brilliant. Kate and Tom, that's been hugely informative. Lots of themes there that we're going to be unpacking in more detail over the next few weeks. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Liam. Thanks, Liam. And as always, for more analysis, you subscribe to our research note uh, that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday, or any one of our dedicated sector-focused newsletters, which Tom, Kate and the rest of the team are putting out on a regular basis. So see our show notes for more details on those. And please remember to subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening to this week's episode.